Welcome back to another episode of Around the 412. I'm Tyler, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Smitty. Shout out to the unofficial official sponsor, Prime Hydration, of Around the 412. Um, Thank you. What, you looking for a Prime? You got a Prime in the background? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can can see him. Yeah, yeah. Prime Hydration. Uh, Just unofficial official sponsor of Around the 412. Also, go uh, check us out on social media, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. We're on it all. Go follow us. Go subscribe to us. We're posting lots of stuff. We're trying to get the... Trying to get our watch time up, trying to get the subscribers up. Listen, we're trying to get these numbers. We're let's just, yeah, yet. let's just be we're honest gonna, with the people. We just want, we want the watch time. <laughs> we, we want, we want the watch time. All right, we're, 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 we're an open book. We're one hundred percent clear. This is what we want, but you guys are what can help us get there. Um, and also, going to keep pushing it. The Isla Keen Future Fund uh, is linked in the description of every show that we've done since October. Uh, unfortunately, Isla lost her father back in October. But we can help alleviate the financial burden that comes with that. Um, and so there's a GoFundMe that was set up to help her future. And we've linked it in all the descriptions of every show on the listening platforms and on YouTube. So go continue to check that out and share that if you can to just get as many eyeballs on it as well. And, and Smitty told me right before we uh, recorded that he has another GoFundMe that we're going to link in this week's show as well. Yeah, um, I will get to that. I want to mention one more thing, though, because this goes along with Dalton. Uh, we're going to be having a golf outing for Dalton on May 13th. So uh, the stuff is going to continue. The information will continue to come out about it. But I know for sure May 13th, Blackhawk Golf Course, uh, and I believe it's going to be at 2 p.m. So Are you going to golf? That's gonna, No, absolutely not. But I've, that's the I've, best I've, part I've seen you swing a golf club before, and have, yes. I, I'm not going mm-hmm. to. How do I put this? stiff that's the word i'll use (laughs) (laughs) that was the very first swing that i took it did get progressively better throughout the night there at top golf but that was very bad (laughs) i am not a golfer it's not my thing uh if this were you know softball right now football yeah i'm not a boxer i never said i was a boxer (laughs) (laughs) um but that that all the better because I will be able to you know help out Kaylee and everybody else like working the event, um because I'm not into golfing myself so I will be able to help out in that regard, um but go. yes Blackhawk Golf Course May 13th 2 p.m. as of right now but an official flyer will be put out uh hopefully very soon, um and you can hit me up to find out more information about it we got less than three months until that so. Uh, all proceeds will go to the caring place in Pittsburgh. Um, obviously, like that's it's something that means something to them. So um, very happy to be a part of that. And then, yes, you mentioned there was another GoFundMe. Uh, this just came across um, to me yesterday. One of my mom's friends who also works within the Central Valley School District. Um, there's a family at Beaver. And I, that's why I asked Tyler if he knew them, because that's where he went to school. Um Amy LaMasters, who is a mother of four daughters, uh, has stage four breast cancer and a um, GoFundMe was set up by her husband, Will, that's already raised close to $27,000 within just one day. Um, So obviously great there. Uh, Four girls. I don't believe any of them are like close to Tyler and I in age. Looking at the picture on here, they're all younger. But I mean, it's just obviously heartbreaking, very easy to. Put yourself in that position. Obviously, Tyler and I are very lucky enough that we have never been in that position. Um, but it, it, you, it tugs on your heartstrings when you think about how it could have been. 
one of yeah. us in this position. So um, we're definitely want to, you know, help out them and support them in any way that we can. So that will also be in the description of this. You guys are going to be like, what are all these links? Yeah, there's going to be two different GoFundMes. And then <laughs> probably whenever some official stuff gets put out for Dalton Keene's uh, golf outing, you're going to see a third type of <laughs> link. So, but listen, that's what we're about here at Around the 412 is supporting the community in any way that we can even with, you know, Tyler going from here to Utah to Oklahoma, pretty sure, like we talked about at some point, we're looking at like one of the Carolinas and then back to Pittsburgh. So um, that that's kind of the trajectory that we're on here. But okay. anyways, all, yeah. all thoughts and prayers with the LeMasters family mm-hmm. as, as Amy continues to battle. So, um, man, I always feel so weird transitioning to like, okay, right, now we're going to talk about all sports. All right, let's talk about but, sports. <laughs> Like, no, like I know what you, I know what you mean. It's really weird uh, talking yeah. about something kind of more, more somber and more serious, and then we yeah. transition to we're two idiots talking about sports the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as uh, as always the case in February, it's time for pitchers and catchers to start reporting for spring training, um, which is is cra- this, this is always like right after you know post Super Bowl. This is kind of where your mind starts going. Like obviously hockey season's still in full swing and stuff like that. But this is the time where, like, if you are into baseball, you're starting to get really excited at this point. Um, so pitchers and catchers reports, they talked to uh, the media, had the opportunity to talk to Brian Reynolds when he got down there. And you know what the questions were all going to be. Um, there's been some, I think that there's been people on both sides of this, but he himself has now come out and said he did not rescind the trade request. Um, but number one priority for him, as he has said all along, is to sign an extension in Pittsburgh. Now, he said that it, it's kind of like everything that's been put out to the media, he admitted is true. Like he, he's been, he was very open with them yesterday when talking like things that were supposed to leak clearly like weren't supposed to, but they did. And they are accurate, according to Brian Reynolds. So whatever that offer was to him that would have made him, you know, the highest paid pirate surpassing T. Brian Hayes, $70 million, which who knows what that is, uh, is still lower than what he is looking for, which is probably more like in the hundred plus million dollar range. And it's probably a difference in years, I would assume as well. Yeah. So who knows exactly on that? But um, I appreciate the openness in which Brian Reynolds spoke with. And I still, you know, going back to conversations that we have, I, I think it would be very dumb for lack of a better word to be worried at all about him, you know, like not wanting to be here and like it's showing on the field. Like, I think you're going to get his best effort night in and night out, even with a trade request. Yeah. You know, and Brian Reynolds could have taken the route of, I'm just going to give the very basic PR answers, like the PR training answers. Like I'm not really going to be too open about it. I'll, I'll answer the questions, but I'm not going to directly say what I'm thinking, but he didn't do that, and I respect him a lot for that. And granted, I, I don't blame him for, one, asking for a trade. I, I don't think any Pirates fan can really get behind like him, like him that being wrong. I think that everyone understands why he would do that. But at the same time, if it's true that he wants, say, an extension in Pittsburgh, then I I am... I think that that's the case as well. And I, I don't understand what the holdup is from the Pittsburgh side of things. Um, I mean, I, I understand w- why, just because I know the organization, but from just from an like outside looking in, like what, what's the holdup on wanting to extend this guy. And I understand they're probably just going to get as much service time as they can out of them and then trade them. 
whenever he ha- has the highest value. But mm-hmm. you know, s- some of these guys, like we've we've said before on the show when we talked about baseball, eventually you're gonna have to pay some people. And I mean, you you saw it with with the last kind of era of the Pirates like regime whenever we had Kutch and we had Mike Marte and Polanco, like all three of those guys got extensions and they were long yeah. extensions. So yeah. I just don't understand what the difference is for like that era to now. What, like when it comes and, and we, we saw Brian Hayes get an extension, but whenever, mm-hmm. whenever you see guys like Brian Reynolds not getting an extension, I mean, he got re, the contract reworked. He got a, he got a pay raise essentially for a couple years, but it wasn't necessarily an extension. What's the holdup on a guy like that being able to get an extension? Because you're going to want to please these guys to keep them around, but also you you have to be able to build your ball club somehow if you want to maintain like competitiveness or get to the point where you can even have competitiveness. We haven't really seen that since, I mean, technically 2018 where they did have a winning season, but I'll just go back to 2015 for lack of a better purpose. But I, we haven't seen that in a while, and we extended those guys. I just wonder what's the holdup in trying to extend guys like this. Like I, I would feel like you have a guy like Hayes get extended. Eventually, you're going to see Odile Cruz get extended. What's the holdup with Brian Reynolds right now? Yeah. I mean, I don't understand. We're only in year two's of uh, year two of Cruz, but eventually, you would think that would happen, and because you have to have a core built around something if you want to go into the postseason. You, you're not really going to have a team most of the time that doesn't have a core group of guys and you should reward that core group of guys. So I think it's, it's a shame on the pirates go figure. I mean, for getting to this point with Brian Reynolds, but I appreciate his openness and saying like, listen, that while that's true, I still want to be here. If, if that's what it takes is getting an extension for him to, not worry about being traded, then then I think the Pirates should do it. But I don't think we're going to get to that point, to be honest. I Yeah, I, I feel like kind of the ship has sailed, to be honest with you. If I'm wrong, so be it. And I hope, you know, in the very near future, it comes out that there is an extension in place. I just think that it should have already have happened because now we're at the point where, like, I would still want him to get extended, but I'd be looking at it like, does the timeline match up? for most of this contract because he because of his age compared to like you shouldn't be picking between the guys in my opinion because they can obviously pay both but obviously if you're if you're asking me to pick between do i want them to give Cruz an extension or brian reynolds an extension i'm gonna pick Cruz eight times out of seven so if they are choosing between the two maybe we see an, an Antonio Cruz if they can't work out something with brian reynolds right before the season starts or something like that Maybe it's O'Neill Cruz that gets extended in the very near future. And that would, you know, kind of restore, I think, some good faith. I don't know that the Pirates are ever going to be on the better side of PR. Like, they've definitely taken some steps in the right direction. When you, you go back to last year, like you said, with the Hayes extension, they probably did some things throughout the regular season last year to kind of deter that again. But then they've added talent to the major league level this offseason. Bringing Andrew McCutcheon back, obviously, is going to do what it's going to do. And if you were to hammer out an extension with one of those two guys, even, I would love for it to be both. But if you can work out extensions with an extension with at least one of those guys, I think you get people a little bit more excited. Again, they obviously can afford to do both of those guys, get both those deals done. I think at this point, though, maybe they're looking at it like Brian Reynolds' timeline doesn't match the Pittsburgh Pirates' timeline. 
the thing we don't even know what the Pittsburgh Pirates timeline is, though. I know, yeah. Because it's so tough because we've talked about honestly since 2019, 2020, like, okay, when are we gonna be competing again? We were talking like 2023, we're gonna be hopefully competitive again. Well, that's this season, and then we were talking about that three years ago. Now we're talking, okay, how many more years until we're competitive again? I mean, mm-hmm. we're we're kind of on this cycle of not competitive, competitive, but we're, we're, we should technically be on the upswing looking at the cycle of a small market team of you have to win while you can, and then you have to lose for a while. We, we should be on the upswing. I don't know when the Pirates like, – are we on the upswing? Was the la- last year kind of the start of the upswing, and th- we're going to improve on this year? I hope so. But I wanted to talk about two points um, that, that you were just kind of mentioning. So, one, mm-hmm. I think this year the Pirates essentially, in, in terms of PR for the, the, the team – are playing with house money because they brought back Andrew McCutcheon. I think at least for the casual fan, it does not matter if the Pirates lose 120 games, but they're going to hear McCutcheon's name announced whenever they go to PNC Park and go to games, and that's what's going to matter to them. They're not going to matter. Look at how social media total. was today with Andrew McCutcheon just showing up the spring training. I mean, they put out a bunch of content of him just like walking through the facility, hanging out with T. Brian. Like, yeah, yeah they're believe me, I know, already. and that, that's why I think that this season they're just playing with house money for the casual fan. Obviously, diehard fans are going to feel different. Listen, I love having catch back, but I also want the team to win, and it gets really hard to watch when they're not. But as as for the casual viewer, the casual the game goer, they're going to be in a good position PR wise, just because you're going to hear that guy's name and you're going to hear that guy's name uh, in a Pittsburgh uniform again, not on the opposing side again. Um, But the second thing I just wanted to ask, like, so Brian Reynolds, he just turned 28 years old in January. So if you were going to offer him an extension that you felt comfortable with, what would you give? Because I'll just, I'll just share mine first. I would probably like my max would probably want to, I mean, let me let me say I would probably ideally give him like a five year deal, but I think that my max would be six year deals that would take him to like thirty four years old. But the I think the problem is, and we mentioned the years. I think or not Cabrian Brian is probably looking for something along the lines of a seven to eight year deal, um, yep. similar to what Cabrian Hayes got um, in, in terms of length. But the difference is Cabrian Hayes is like three four years younger than Brian Reynolds, so. It's not stretching them out into their 30s as much, but I personally would go five and my max would be six. But what do you think you would go? And do you think if the Pirates even got one done, do you think it would be a longer term extension like that Cabrian Hayes deal? Or do you think it would just kind of be like a three to four year deal, maybe a little bit after his service time is up with the Pirates? Yeah, that's the thing is I think the Pirates probably – I mean, it, it's such a stupid thing to say because who doesn't want the player to be good for their entire you know, contract? But I think for the Pirates, it's even more important than in other markets. Um, even though the Pirates can afford to have a guy you know, kind of drop off and have him still making that amount of money, they're never going to do that. Or they're going to try to avoid doing that at all costs. So yeah, I think in the Pirates' mind, they probably want to keep it shorter term, like you said, like three or four. I would guess four. Um, but the thing is like, these are the way that contracts work in baseball. Like very rarely do you see a guy be productive the entire way through their contract. If they're signing like an eight year deal and, and they're not hitting free agency until they're like 30, 
in baseball because mm-hmm. of the six years they have to play in the majors before hitting unrestricted free agency. So that's kind of just like you have to live with it that they're not going to be the same player on the back end. But now with the DH being in the NL, I feel a lot better about it. I'm totally willing to go to, I don't want to say whatever length in order to have Brian Reynolds extended here. But if it took eight years and taking him to 36 years old, I think the bat is still going to play. And to be quite honest with you, it's not like the defense is great as is right now. So like, I don't know that you're going to see that much of a drop off as he goes through his thirties into his mid thirties. I, I would be totally fine if it took anywhere from six to eight years to do it. I think ideally, yeah, like it's, you're probably in my ideal scenario, you're giving him like a five year, $100 million contract. And that's cool for both sides, but I don't think that that would do it. Yeah. Realistically, Brian Reynolds is probably going to be a pirate for another season or two, and then he'll be shipped out. Yeah, I mean, there's there's varying opinions on that. And, and I know that, you know, I have all the respect in the world for people that cover the team and, you know, people that, that write about the team and, and all that, that cover it a lot more closely than we do. But just with my perception from what I see, it's very hard for me to envision Brian Reynolds' long-term future being in Pittsburgh. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, I mean, he's 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 eaten up four years of his service time, so he has two seasons left under his arbitration years. So, I mean, well, his arbitration years were bought out. Excuse me. He just yeah. has two years left in Pittsburgh. So I, I, I think if he's not traded this upcoming offseason – because I think he'll play out the entire season this this year, unless the team okay. is doing so so poorly, but he's doing well enough that they actually get a good haul for him at the trade deadline. But I would just imagine that he plays out this season and then they look for, to trade him next offseason. I just I just don't see an extended deal being done. If it was going to happen, it would have happened before last season. Instead of that two year where they bought out at our arbitration years, they would have bought out the arbitration years and given an extension on top of that. I don't know why they didn't. Yeah, I took that happening as like a sign of good faith. Like I fully expected an extension to come like shortly after that. I thought it was just kind of like, hey, we want to get something long term done with you. But here's this for now while we work on that. Um, Unfortunately, that hasn't been the case up to this point. But yeah, I'm going if they trade him before 2024, because 20, I I know that you keep we keep talking about like the timeline moving. But realistically, like 2023 is it looks like it should be what I thought 2022 was going to be, meaning 2024 should be when you start to see like this next group that's probably going to be comprised of most of the group that's going to be on the next playoff team up in Pittsburgh together. Um, you know, like Andy Rodriguez. Okay, so this is our this is our 2012 ish. Yeah. Basically. If we're relating it yeah. to the to the last like where we got to the postseason, mm-hmm. you could start the the upswing started in 2011. It continued in 2012, and we finally got there in 2013. So yeah. like this year, I think you saw sparks, but they didn't put it all together. Uh, or I guess this last last season, this season you'd expect them to put more of it together. I mean, in 2012 at at the All Star break, they were in first place, and then they choked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were um, good for half a season 2011 too. But what I was saying is if they were to trade him right before going into the 2024 season with what it looks like, like with going in before that window of contention, I'm going to be very upset that they just didn't move him in like 2021 when he probably had his highest value. Or in uh, the off season of 2019. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would have been <laughs> wild, but yeah. 
coming up as a rookie and just yeah. Hey, we liked what we saw for you know, coming up. Well, coming uh, up, he came a... up pretty early because that Marte injury. Yeah, he was. I mean, everybody was excited about Cole Tucker coming up. They came up together. Yeah, because he he was twenty four yeah. when he came up, and then he he stayed up here, and then mm-hmm. he he was contending for a batting title towards yep. the end of the season. Yep. Um. All right. Let's let's move on and talk about uh, JJ Watt's favorite football team, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, that was an awesome conversation that we had last week. And I think some people, Sarge was like, I thought he looked at the title and he's like, there's no way that you guys actually <laughs> got JJ Watt to come on for a couple minutes. Right. Uh, no, but, um, I want to start actually talking about John Mitchell, who was kind of like an unsung guy within the Pittsburgh Steelers organization, uh, 29 years in Pittsburgh. He retired this past week. Um, just think about 29 years with the organization. Think about how many things he's been there, how many players he's coached, the things that he's seen within that organization. Just awesome. Um, he was with Cower, obviously Tomlin kept him on board. Um, some great players that he coached a ton of players, give him a ton of credit for their, their careers. And, um, yeah, it's just one of those things. It's like you don't necessarily think of him right away when it comes to the Pittsburgh Steelers, but a guy that spent that much time there, it's going to obviously feel very different for the other people in that building not having him when they go back to Latrobe. Yeah, I mean, a, a great career. He went to four Super Bowls uh, as a part of the staff, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and I think he was with good Belichick before he joined the Steelers. Oh, was he? Was he in Cleveland? I, yeah, I believe so. Okay. Okay. I mean, that's a that's a Belichick to Coward to Tomlin. <laughs> to, that's a pretty great succession, if you ask me. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, being with this with one organization for so long, if they're going to keep you around, and granted, the Steelers keep a lot of people around, but if they keep you around for that long, you had to have made a pretty big impact. So, I mean, kudos to him. I hope he enjoys retirement, and it, uh, coaches are not going to be easy to replace, and so. I'm sure. I'm yeah, sure they'll wait, have wait, a tough wait, time. Wait, to... wait, 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 wait. What? Time okay. out. Time out. Time out. We got this guy is so much more than than what we are making it seem. Did you know? Okay, so I'm just reading about him a little bit here. Okay. He was the first African American to play football at Alabama. Oh, really? I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. And then just, in his second year at the program. Page? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With his second year at the program, he was the co-captain. So obviously, then he was the first African American co-captain in school history. Uh huh. And then he was the first black assistant, first assistant coach on coach. staff. Yeah. I mean, this the guy, young, this guy the youngest coach, the the youngest coach to ever be hired at Alabama. Yeah. I mean, he was just breaking barriers there. So, but yeah, he was the defensive he line the coach first, for Belichick. He was the first black defensive coordinator in the SEC. Okay. We, we really snubbed talking about you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Seriously. John Mitchell. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. We were, no, I mean, we really... <laughs> I mean, listen, I like I was saying, I I know how important he was to the Steelers organization, but there was so much that happened before he got here that is insane. Yeah. He yeah. he was under Bear Bryant and Lou Holtz in college. Mm-hmm. Bill yep. Belichick, Bill Cower, and Mike Tomlin in the pros. That's that, I mean, those five, if those are your head coaches that you're under in your entire coaching career, that's got to be the best like coaching umbrella that you could ever have. Bear Bryant and Lou Holtz in college, Belichick Coward, Mike Tomlin. Yep. (laughs) That's nuts. 
that's actually nuts. Oh man, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Well, I'm I'm sorry we really uh, we didn't really lay it on more. We had to go to your Wikipedia Wikipedia page to find out more. But you were an amazing guy. Yeah, that's for awesome. Sure. Um, so shout out to him. Just you know, at this point, get to enjoy his family and the fruits of his labor. Um, so shout out to John Mitchell. Um, I'll save the Super Bowl thing for last. I want to. You said you had no clue about this happening. You must have missed it on Twitter. But a Fox Sports radio host brought up the idea of Derek Carr for the Steelers, saying that he felt quarterback was like one of the very few pieces the Steelers needed to get to the a level of contention because he does not at all see it with Kenny Pickett. What is your thought on that? This, I. I don't understand this. First off, this kind of plays into the stigma that I have talked about several times on the show, where if you are not an all pro quarterback in your first season, people already want to move on from you. I mean, if you watch Kenny and it, it granted, I'm sure a lot of these people didn't watch every single Steelers game, but they if you watch, watch Kenny, them. you look at the box score, but you, you didn't see the confidence you didn't see the progression from that first Jets game to the last game of the season. I mean, the the, the the back half of the season, Kenny got the turnovers down, and you could see the confidence in him. The offense was running better through Kenny. And then those mm-hmm. those last couple games with the Raiders and the Ravens, the, those basically last-minute touchdowns, uh, then the, the last two-minute drives to take the lead. You didn't watch all that ha- happen if you really think that Kenny Pickett doesn't have it. Now, is Kenny Pickett the long-term answer? Who knows? We still don't know that after year one. But right. to think that quarterback and that they should go after Derek Carr is the Steelers' biggest need is, to me, insane. Because as of right now, at least the bare minimum, you have a quarterback going into next season that you have the confidence to run your offense. Now you need to build around that quarterback. I don't on know how anybody. Deal. On a rookie <laughs> deal. Why would you bring in somebody, a veteran? $40 million. Listen, uh, Yeah. It makes absolutely no sense. No sense to me. Listen, and I, I've liked Derek Carr over his career. I think he's been very underrated over his career. But why would you do that? Especially because I feel like if you bring in Derek Carr, and don't get me wrong, I was just talking about how Derek Carr is underrated. You bring him in, you're just basically going into another quarterback battle into the next season. Why would the Steelers want to get back into that situation? It makes absolutely no sense. That that makes That's a joke. He doesn't look at what the Steelers have. And, and honestly, I, I get it. Not every national media member is going to be a fan of every team that knows everything about every team and really dive deep into all of it. But, you know, it, it, it's a, really a joke if you look at the Steelers and say, yeah, quarterback is still the the main thing they need to work on. It, it, it's a joke. Yeah, the first round pick last year, it, forget about him. We need to sign this guy for $40 million a year. I'll take it a step further and I won't even give him the benefit of having any idea about the Steelers situation at all. I, what I think this is, is just, it's a tweet. It's a social media take that he knows is going to get a ton of engagement once it's out there. And that's why it was put out there. The Pittsburgh Steelers, very, very easy fan base to get riled up on an opinion. I don't know if you're aware of that. Uh, so, you know, put this thought out there. Let's put it off into social media and see how it goes. There is no I mean, such I, I, thing. 
because people know this guy's name now that well, didn't know who I, he I was. Can't, he, he I can't no say anything because I literally just ranted about him for a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally guy, played into it. This guy gets no interaction on Twitter. I, I, I looked at his timeline. This was a this fantastic no way bitches. of getting, yeah, of getting people <laughs> to know his name that didn't know it before. I don't think it was predicated on anything. I'm not giving him the benefit of the doubt of it being a bad take. I think it was a social media take. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I I played right into his hand for a couple minutes. I, I mean, say. I could be wrong. I could be the one that's wrong. I, maybe he genuinely does believe this. I just, I have well, a I should have let you go of... first. That way I wouldn't <laughs> have ranted about it. <laughs> But but you might be right. I I do not know. We should we should try to get this guy on, and then just boot him as soon as he starts talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, what did uh? Oh man, what did what did Adam Sheen? What would what was he called by uh, Joey Molinero on our show? Uh, a twerp. Yeah, mm-hmm. little twerp. Yep, a twerp. A twerp. Yep. Yeah, this guy's being a twerp right now. Yeah. I don't know. His profile picture is Aaron Rodgers in a Jets jersey. So tells you the type of guy that we're working with here. Okay. Makes sense. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it's not happening. Uh, Just stupid to even bring up, you know, from a Steelers perspective. But um, I was just curious how you felt about it to see if your opinion aligned with mine. I, I don't think that there's like any even credence to his take. I legitimately think it was just put out there for engagement. There's no credence. If, if they if they bring in a veteran quarterback, which they very well might do, it's not going to be Derek Carr or anybody that's even oh, going to yeah. be remotely competitive for a starting spot. It's going to be a backup. Uh, a Josh Dobbs reunion could make sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's it's... there's no there's no world where bringing in a another starting quarterback to the Steelers is going to make any sense. And and, and his, 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 <laughs> I, this guy has me stuttering in his scenario. <laughs> are, are they cutting Mitch Trubisky? Oh yeah. But, yeah. 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 Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the, because you'd, you'd have to, if that's the case, but yeah, that's, it's just, it's a stupid take. You're probably right. It's just for media traction because Steeler fans like myself get really riled up about that. Also, shout out to whoever guy was at the Admiral Tag Agency today where I work in Tulsa, Oklahoma, had a big leather jacket on that was all Steelers and he had the Super Bowl. Um, It was like a huge jacket. He said it cost $600, had a Steelers helmet emblem on the chest. He had uh, various Super Bowls uh, patches down the sleeves. It was really cool to see. but yeah, shout out shout out to that random Steeler fan I saw at work today. And I don't know if I lost Smitty. Um if if we did, that's not good. But especially because he has the notes that we were going off of. But the next thing we were going to talk about was the Super Bowl. And Smitty's gone. So I have internet. So let's talk about the Super Bowl. Kansas City. Beats, beats Philadelphia in probably one of the best Super Bowls that I've seen from start to finish um, in my lifetime. I, I think that that game was really entertaining uh, for, honestly, the, the the entire game. And I get it, the call at the end, bad timing, but I have my own takes on that. But really start to finish, I think that was a really fun game to watch. Um, 
you know, the, Philadelphia came out hot, looked like they could run away with it early, looked like they did in several games this postseason run. But then Kansas City is able to come back and the defense is able to hold up Philadelphia more and they're able to get things going. But what what I really thought the story of the Super Bowl was, <clears throat> was not the officiating, not that call, and not really a uh, it, anything to do with either of the offenses. I think for four quarters, Kansas City's defense outplayed the Eagles' defense. The Eagles' defense won the first quarter. But after that, I thought Kansas City's defense played much better. And I, I think that one of the things that really hurt them, what the, the Eagles, speaking of, was that fumble recovery for a touchdown. Because you got to think, you're on a roll right now. You could go up 21-7 to if they, if they drive down and score. But let's say they didn't, and they only went up um, 17-7. to Instead, you fumble the ball, you have a turnover, and that's a 10-14 to point swing, whether you want to look at whether they got a field goal or if they got a touchdown. That, to me, was the biggest turning point in the game. I, I think that you you look at that, and that gave Kansas City life. From, that, from then on out, like f- for the rest of the game, Kansas City had a spark every single time they were on the field, whether that was offense or defensively. But, but prior to that, it was all Philadelphia early on. And what I think the main difference was, was that gave them hope. Because if, if Philadelphia went down, and they went up either 17 to 7 or 21 to 7. I'm not sure that Kansas City, now granted, I'm not going to ever doubt Patrick Mahomes. He's the best quarterback in the game. But I, I don't want to say for certain that Kansas City is going to be able to come back from that. Just based off of things that we had seen prior weeks with Philadelphia, where they just get on a roll and they they don't stop. They just start blowing these teams out. And you kind of started to see that could be potentially mimicking itself in the Super Bowl against these Kansas City Chiefs. But that that fumble recovery for a touchdown, to me, was the turning point in the game. That gave Kansas City life. It gave Kansas City hope. And I, I think that that is honestly the main reason. And there's, there's several reasons why Kansas City won the Super Bowl. But to me, that is the main reason why they were able to come back and win that Super Bowl. The, the call itself, it was okay. Let's move on to the call. And everybody knows the talk, the call I'm talking about. It's the holding call on James Bradbury on Juju Smith Schuster. Is it an ill timed call if you're a Philadelphia Fly or Philadelphia Flyers, Philadelphia Eagles fan? Absolutely. That sucks that that was called then. But in my opinion, and granted, Smitty's not in here right now, so he can't really state his opinion on it. It should have been called. I I I know that the the and I I'm going to continue talking to my point because Smitty just joined back. So I I've been talking about the Super Bowl and what I <laughs> what, what a great show what a great show yeah Smitty left for a while but don't worry I just continue talking about the Super Bowl so uh, I was about to go start t- talking about that holding call um, okay because but I, but I. Uh, I'll, I'll just back up a little bit now that you're back and we'll, we'll, we'll get your, your thoughts on things. I basically went over the Super Bowl. I mean, Kansas City, they beat Philly. 
Um, I said yeah. that I thought this was one of like from start to finish, one of the best, like one of the most entertaining Super Bowls that's I've had in my lifetime that I genuinely enjoyed like watching the game, especially because I didn't really have a dog in the fight. Like there wasn't a clear team that it's like, I don't like this team. I don't want them to win. I just thought it was a very enjoyable Super Bowl um, from start to finish. And I, I thought that what, what I said what, to me was the, the biggest like story of it was not how good the defenses were and nothing with the, or not how good the offenses were and nothing with the officials. It's that for three of the four quarters, the Kansas City's defense was better than the Eagles. So the first like quarter and a half, I thought the Eagles' defense was better than Kansas City's. But once the turnover happened, where Jalen Hurts fumbled the ball and uh, they they got the the strip sack for a touchdown, to me that was the turning point in the game, which I talked about just a couple minutes ago. Um, but I, I looked at that as, and granted, I know a lot of people are, are talking about that holding call and the timing of it and everything. But if you want to talk about a play that changes the Super Bowl and a play that not necessarily lost them the Super Bowl, but changed the whole dynamic of the game, it was that fumble recovery for a touchdown with Kansas City. Because you think you're up 14 to 7 at that point. You're you're driving again, and then you you do that, and you could have turned what what could have been a 10 to 14 point swing, whether they would have drove driven down and got either a field goal or a touchdown and at worst you're punting the ball and you're getting better field position for your defense but what could have been a 10 to 14 point swing instead it's a tied football game and to me that's what gave Kansas City life because prior to that I didn't see any life really from Kansas City and I didn't really see uh any I think I looked like a lot like what the Eagles had done to teams prior to this where they get out early and then they're going to get out ahead quickly, and you're not going to be able to come back from it. And if the Eagles go down and they go up 21 to seven in that second quarter, and I, I mentioned like I'm never going to doubt Patrick Mahomes; he's the best quarterback in football. But you got to that's really demoralizing early on, and it's really tough to come back from that, especially the confidence that would that would have given Philadelphia. To me, that was the biggest turning point because it gave Kansas City the confidence that they needed to be able to say like, okay, we're back in this thing. That's our, that's the reset button we needed. And we're going to go here from here. From that point out, I thought Kansas city was the better team overall, but more specifically on defense, I thought Kansas city's defense was able to withhold the Eagles offense more so than, than uh, the Eagles were to Kansas city. Yeah. I mean, the Eagles bread and butter is the trenches and they didn't have a single sack in this football game. They weren't able to get anywhere near Patrick Mahomes on that bad angle. The only time that, you know, he goes out to scramble and someone kind of lands on it, obviously, like that was pretty highly talked about because it was like right before halftime. And then he comes out in the second half and like doesn't have a hobble at all, just like adrenaline. And like he's been pretty open about like when he had gotten like shots in the past. He said there wasn't a single shot. Like he didn't take a shot of anything. Like, I don't know what they did during halftime. It worked. Whatever they did. Yeah. Whatever they did, it definitely (laughs) worked. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I fully agree with everything that you're saying. Like Kansas City's offense couldn't stay on the field early on. Like they they were getting dominated in time of possession. Philly was having these long drives, ending with points every single time. Kansas City's offense couldn't get on the field. And then they did in the second half. And that's how, like, even though Mahomes looked so impressive, that's how he still had, ended up for throwing for less than 200 yards. He wasn't on the mm-hmm. field for, for the yeah. first half. 
So, I mean, I, I credit to Kansas City for obviously their defense getting seven points, six points for them um, and keeping them in the football game up to that point because that thing could have gotten, you know, ugly in the first half if they don't create that turnover and store off of it. So, um, yeah, they kind of were biding their time until, you know, they were able to. Steve Spagnolo, the defensive coordinator for the Chiefs, never gets enough credit. They always, like, how many household names are even on that defense? But it somehow always works. I talked about it last week. Like, obviously, you have. Chris Jones, fantastic player in the middle of this, but they just lost their, you know, the other big name guy on that side of the football and Tyron Matthew this off season, they're out there starting like seventh round rookies in the secondary in holding, you know, AJ Brown and Devontae. Those guys still got theirs every now and then, of course, but yeah. you know, they played well enough for them to win a Super Bowl with, with just like a makeshift defense. And it happens every single year with Steve Spagnuolo. So massive shout out to him. Cause I feel like he doesn't get talked about at all when you're talking about the chiefs. No, yeah, it was it was honestly a really good effort, more specifically in the second half. Like I said, the first half, for a, a quarter and a half of it, the Eagles dominated, and, and they were about to honestly give like a death blow if they would have gone down and scored again to me. that That's just kind of the vibe that the game was giving at that point. Um, but the defense held, and the defense didn't, point, didn't disappoint. I mean, honestly, the, probably the biggest question was like, how is Kansas City's defense – going to be able to handle what looked like honestly the best offensive football up to that point um i and they they did really well overall i i i think that uh when you look at the the teams it was clear to me that the eagles on both sides of the ball were elite and the kansas city offense was elite but the defense i just felt like had a lot of questions on it but they were able to do do just enough to be able to get the super bowl yeah what were so obviously you kind of already touched on it, but the call at the end of the game. Actually, um, I didn't really touch on it. I okay. I I was just starting to talk about it, so we can we can talk about that now. Okay, so like the Chiefs are obviously driving down the field. They're going to add three points at least, regardless here. But the Eagles would have had you know a little over a minute left. They still had a timeout, and it looks like they get a stop on third down, and then you see the flag come out. And it was a holding call on James Bradbury against Juju Smith-Schuster. James Bradbury even admitted after the game, like, yeah, I held him. Was just kind of hoping it wouldn't be called. Um, and, and I appreciate that, obviously. And I do believe that, like, it's a penalty. But I guess the thing for me is there's so many penalties throughout the course of a game, especially, like, that type of penalty that aren't called. So for them to call it at that point, it just kind of sucks that it came to that in the biggest game in the last minute. And Philadelphia didn't have a shot at the end of the game. I know they got the football yeah. back. With eight seconds left, no timeouts. Yeah, but that's, that's completely different than getting the football back with a minute and a half. Yeah. So for me, like it's still, I understand that it is, it, it is a penalty. He committed a penalty, but that same penalty is committed throughout the course of a game several times, and I'm sure it was in this game several times. The refs, I thought, did a great job of letting them play throughout. I mean, not a single holding call on either side throughout this game. They were letting them play. So then to decide to take the flag out there, that was my only issue with it. But again, I understand the the nature of it and textbook. Yeah, you, I guess you got to throw the flag. I just I felt like you didn't have to because of what wasn't called earlier. Right. And I'm actually going to touch on that. that. That's why I can see I can see why both sides of it are like like both arguments to this. I can see why. Listen, you, you watch the play. The entire play. I understand the people at the end were like, yeah, that's not holding. I was like, yeah, but he didn't hold him at the end. He held him in the beginning. 
But if you watch the entire play, yes, it's holding, and it should be called because I'm a very, I'm very much an advocate for like let them play, but penalties are penalties, and I think if there's a penalty and that's the textbook law in in the rule book, they should call them. Um, and I understand there's very much missed penalties and there's human error with all that. But I, I am like one that wants penalties to be called if it's going to be a penalty. And I'm that way with all sports, not, not just football. But I can also see the other side of it that not necessarily the side of, okay, the refs are like controlling the game and they're, they're, they're nah, fixing the game. No, 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 yeah. no. That's a, that's a joke. The, this, this, that wasn't the script. Okay. Don't, 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 don't. <laughs> yeah, it's 37, 34 Philly. So I don't know yeah, what happened. Don't, don't confuse the script. Um, I can see the side of it where there's got to be consistency in the officiating throughout a game. Kind of like if an umpire in baseball establishes his strike zone within the first inning or two, you know, like where he's going to be calling things throughout the game. And the strike zone is not a perfect rule. Just like technically officiating isn't because we don't have robots doing it. We have human beings doing it. So throughout that game, if you're going to let people like grab shove on these routes and then that's what you call at the end of the game, I'm fine with you calling it if you would have called it the entire way through the game, but they didn't. So I can at least see why the argument was, well, they shouldn't have called it because they didn't call it the entire game. Like I can get behind that. I can, I, I can understand that. I still think that it should have been called just because it, it technically was a penalty. It, it's it's just poor timing, honestly, more than anything. But to me, that's not what killed the Eagles. Obviously, that that killed all of their clock, and they didn't really have a chance to to actually tie the game and go to overtime. But like I said before, there were so many plays throughout a game, and and great, I give credit to a lot of the Eagles players. They, they they didn't shy away from that. The Eagles coaching staff, like, listen, there's there's a lot of plays that lose you a football game throughout a game. And to me, honestly, I personally believe that the holding call was not as big as that fumble recovery for a touchdown in the second quarter. And I truly believe that just because I feel like that changed the entire momentum shift of the game. Sure. This is the ultimate like dagger um, or it's the final nail in the coffin that really killed all the clock for the Philadelphia. But I don't think that was what lost them the game. No, I don't either. I mean, again, I, I the first thing that I think about when I think about this Super Bowl going forward and I'll look back on and think about is the Eagles having zero sacks in this game based off having 70 in the regular season and also them, you know, doing it throughout the their previous playoff games up until this point. Yeah. So and don't that, get me wrong, is, I would have loved I would have loved this game to go into overtime because Overtime and a Super Bowl, especially since they changed the super like the playoff rules for overtime, where both teams are going to get a possession at least one. I would have mm-hmm. loved to see this game go to overtime, but I am fine with the outcome that it was. Like I'm fine with the penalty well, being called. I'm I'm fine with the way it ended. Sure, it's anticlimactic for the 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 beginning like fifty eight minutes of the game, but yeah. I still think it was a great game overall. I think too, it's like. People are just assuming that Philadelphia, if they had over a minute in a timeout, for sure get a field goal. Like, who's to say that even without that, it, it, there's no guarantee that it goes to overtime, even with that. Right. Uh, you would have liked to have seen the Eagles have that chance, obviously, 
but there was certainly no guarantee that the Chiefs don't win that game in regulation regardless. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and uh, if, if honestly, there's no guarantee that uh, that what's-his-face makes a kick, um, that oh, I can't think of it. Who's their kicker? Jake Elliott? No, Harrison Bucker. Oh, for the Chiefs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. because he had missed one early on in the game. Yeah, the doink. Yeah, a lot of so, money, a lot of money the, lost on that. Honestly, yeah, there's there's a lot of what ifs, but I I thought the game was really fun, really enjoyable Super Bowl, and I probably ate more during this Super Bowl than I have in several years. And I I I, I by the end of the game, I thought I was gonna blow up. Yeah, it was a good time. Shout out to uh, Jordan, who I was just on her podcast talking about the food that we ate too for her. Yeah, Super that's Bowl that's party pretty that sick that Jordan had the bracket of the food that's going to be served at the party. Yeah. That, that, that's pretty awesome. And I'm sure you were happy that it wasn't the Skyline Chili Dogs or the Clam Chowder. Absolutely. Yeah, this was basically best case scenario. Like between Kansas City barbecue or the Buffalo Wings versus um, it had to be Philly cheesesteaks from the NFC, basically. That's yeah. what like needed to happen for the Super Bowl. So basically best possible outcome. Yeah, it sounded, so. sounded really good. Uh, yeah, we were joking around talking on there. Um, well, we are going to do something like we're going to have like a what could have been food that she wants to do Two other teams, like one from each side. And it's not going to be style and chili and chowder. Don't worry. But also we want to I was joking around and said we should do one for March Madness. So 68 different foods. Oh, the my, gosh. The bracket, then... oh my gosh. Oh, my God. Well, I'll ask have... about it on there. What do you think would Let's be say... Pittsburgh's? For Pitt, yeah. Um. Well, here's the thing: if you, because I think March Madness is tough because you kind of have to go beyond just dishes and you have to go towards like restaurants. Okay. Well, I thought you were just say you have because there's gonna be multiple teams from like different states, so you well, like that, really that, have to hone in on too. that area specifically. Yeah. Yeah. So you either have to hone in on the area if it's known for a dish, or you have to go to like a specific restaurant. I mean, to me, Eddie said the same actually. Oh, did he? We'll see what you say here, but he said it had to be like a specific place in Pittsburgh that iconic, um, but they weren't able to save it. So, um, well, okay, then he's talking about the O. Yep. But current restaurants for Pitt, if you're going restaurant, I'd probably have to say like, even though it's uh, there's better sandwiches, to be honest, but oh, you probably no. just have to say Permanis because of oh, the. Oh, oh, oh. oh, you said there's. Be- Never mind. Never mind. I th- I thought I knew where you were going, but I misheard. No, I didn't. I wasn't going to say Peppies. I you, yeah, I you know I prefer Peppies. No, 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 no. You know I prefer <laughs> Peppies, but I and don't get me wrong. I love Permanis too, but I I feel like it has to be that just for the notoriety of the name. Um, mm-hmm. but if you're going specific dishes, honestly, like I so I said pierogies like, a bad I said Brody's and Isley's chip chopped ham. Um, I don't know if you've ever had halushki. Uh, that could also that could also be. I know you've never had halushki. Uh, I don't even I've know. Tasted, why I've tasted. It. I don't like it. I've tasted it. I don't like but that's it. a very Pittsburgh thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Turner's yeah. tea. The drink. Turner's tea. You, you could just chug <laughs> icy light. <laughs> there you go. Oh, mango specifically. Yeah, but it's not summertime. Talking. Now we're talking. It's it's spring. Might be warm it's enough. Spring. You know, Let me know. look at the temperature in Pittsburgh right now. No, no, no. I'm saying when March gets here for March Madness, it, like w- for Pitt. Well, March, March, April, like by the end of the tournament, that time mm-hmm. of year is whenever 
you wake up and it's like 40 and then by by noon it's 75 and then by 6 p.m it's 30 degrees it's awesome yeah yeah hanks here will be opening yeah yeah um all right, we're going to talk about the Pens real quick, and uh, we will get out of here. Three games to talk about. They beat the Ducks and Sharks, sandwiching a horrible loss to the Kings, maybe their worst loss of the season when you look at the store itself. Yeah, but oddly enough, oddly enough, they actually played better in that first period than they did at any point in their win over the Sharks. Casey DeSmith just came to play against the Sharks, so that's why they were able to win that hockey game. Um, should have gotten a shutout, came a few minutes short of that. But, um, yeah, Tacey Smith was really good in two of these games. He gave up three in the Ducks one, but it was a dominant performance. It was just team took their foot off the gas. Once they got up 6-1, he allowed a couple late. Um, but, yeah, I also should mention Gino getting to 1,200 points in that blowout win against the Ducks last Friday. So congratulations to him. Obviously, stellar career, top 100 type career, actually. Top, where top 101, actually. Yeah, where would you where, realistically, actually, though, where would you put Gino? Because obviously, I've, we all know it's egregious that he's not top 100, but like it's egregious to me that he's not top fit. Like, we could go way further okay. than that. So, so, personally, to me, I now granted, I would have to really <laughs> go through all NHL players, but just yeah. thinking out of on the top of my head, I would be very comfortable putting Gino as a top 40 player of all time. Okay. Yep. See, like I went from 100 to 50, but then I was like, man, I could, I could definitely see top 40 for sure. I think because it's two, it's, it's almost like, and I'm not comparing him to, you'll see where I'm going with this. People make the argument for Devin Hester to be in the hall of fame because he's the best at what he did as a, as a special teams player. When you talk about just where Gino is specifically among Russian born players, it's him Ovechkin, Sergei Fedorov, top three. So how is it, how is a top three Russian player not in the comp, not in that top right. you know 30, 40 guys? Yeah, no, Lincoln. that makes sense. And I and I said this like whenever that that NHL top one hundred happened, which was what? How many years ago was that? Twenty seventeen. <sighs> yeah, I would just say twenty seventeen or eighteen. Eighteen. Um, I I said that back then I thought Gino was a top forty player of all time. Because when you when you add in the cups, you add in the accolades. I I I said that he was, and it, what you're saying too, to one of the top Russian players of all time. He to me, he's either two or three. And I I I love Gino, but I'm sorry, Alex Ovechkin to me is the best Russian hockey player. But whenever you ha add all that together, back then I said he was a top forty. So I think if you really had me go through all the players from NHL history. Maybe there's a case he's pushing, like he he's in the top 35. Maybe even pushing for top 30. I don't know. I'd, that's something that I'd have to actually sit down and do. But I also said that yeah. he's probably a top 15 center of all time, and mm. that was back then. But yeah, it was that, 2017, the by the way. It's 2017, and I I was saying that back then in 2017. So I, I think that you can very well make the case that he's pushing towards a top 30 player of all time. Absolute joke that even back then in 2017 that he was left off the list. But, you know, the good old hockey boy Jonathan Taves was on there. 
that entire trio, right? Like, I mean, like Patrick Kane, I could definitely see. Patrick Kane, Hayes, I would put in the top 100. Keith. Duncan Keith, I mean, that, I know I was just literally talking about like Malkin has three cups, but he, Malkin has the other stuff to go with it. The only one out of those three that I could easily just say like, yeah, you're definitely a top 100 player is Kane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other ones, Taves, you'd have to really win me over for like a career average of like 60 points a year. But don't worry, he's got all that leadership. <laughs> he's got he's got so much leadership that he's a top 100 player, and yet he still has never been the captain of Team Canada when Sidney Crosby's on the roster. So who's the real leader? I know, I know. How could he be? Um, I want to ask you, like, so Tristan Jari. It sounds like getting closer. I think there was maybe a little bit of a scare for some people this afternoon um, when he wasn't on the ice for practice. Apparently he was visiting with a doctor that's been seeing him for this upper body injury, but it came out. So it's an upper body injury that he's been listed as out with, but it came out about his hip and maybe he has like some hip condition that he's just going to have to like live with and try to manage. I mean, <laughs> that doesn't sound good to me. I'll just put it bluntly. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's getting worse and worse for me in terms of the way that I'm looking at his future as a Penguin, where I'm just like, we don't even know if Ron Hextall is going to be here anyway, but is this team going to commit to Tristan Jari after this season with the injury history that he's built up at this point and having no track record to show in the playoffs? Like, what are we banking on here? He is really good when he's been healthy and on the ice. It just hasn't been enough of that. Yeah, no, I don't I don't think, granted, I, I don't want to talk about him because he hasn't been able to stay on the ice, but that, that's that's also part of the reason. I don't I don't think that you can really commit to him. And that that's a shame. And it, it makes the goaltending future really tough for the Penguins this offseason. But how are you going to be able to do that? Especially if if he's going to have a lingering hip injury that has to deal with his entire career that could all of a sudden flare up. I mean, goalie, you see the way these guys move. Your hips need to be in order. They, they need to be functioning at, at, at a high level. And if you're going to have that problem with your hips, you can't rely on that whenever this guy's had so many injury problems prior to this. Because what could be said for the future of of his injury cases in the Penguins in, in, in net? Because goalies, they the, the way they move, the way they use their legs, their hips, everything, they need to be healthy and have a have a really healthy body. This the Penguins' problems just got even more if this is going to be a lingering injury that has to deal with for the rest of his career. Because you can't rely on someone like that to get a long-term contract and you have to give somebody a long-term contract because after this season concludes, your only contracted goalie is Casey DeSmith. Yeah. 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 It it kind of, to me, makes the, the interest in Thatcher Demko make more sense because you're not looking at it as a short-term thing. Maybe they were looking at it like, okay, we get Thatcher Demko, that 100% slams the door on a Tristan Jari extension in Pittsburgh. We're moving forward with him. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's such a shame too, because I feel like Tristan Jari is every, especially ever since that 2021 playoff debacle um, Mm -hmm. against the Islanders, I feel like he's really improved his game 
and, and showed a lot. Of I was people so they, excited they, for him to to play in the playoffs last season, and then he yeah. gets hurt again at the end of the year. Yeah, and that, that's that's the problem. He's shown that when he's on the ice, he can play, but he can't stay on the ice, and that's the biggest I mean, problem. Hip, what is he? Seventy five? We talked about Lou Holtz. <laughs> Uh, like yeah, who? What other athletes have hip injuries? Like famous ones? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know to be honest. I almost said Gray Doden, but his was his knees. Yeah, I don't know. It it just it just makes it more complicated for the Penguins, and potentially wrong Hextall. I'm still waiting for LeBron to fire him, but you know, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but speaking of Tristan Jari, like we're talking about him in in this light right now, but the team does need him. You know. They need him to be available at least for the rest of this season. So hopefully Tua. he's back. That's who the... I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I was sitting here. Like I didn't even get to football yet. Like for some reason, my mind went to basketball first. I was trying to think of an NBA player that had so mine. And my, and for some reason, my mind went to like Kobe. I was like, no, he had like an Achilles injury. He's had other injuries, but he didn't have a hip injury. Yeah. Yeah. Tua. Tua. I mean, he's had a lot more than that now. Right. Shout out to him. Hope he is able to stay on the field too. But um, yeah, in Tristan's case, it it sounds like he's close. You know, maybe we see him in one of these back to backs this weekend. Um, well, hopefully, the for time- the sake of uh, himself, the team is playing better in front of him because right now they're averaging probably close to forty shots a game given up. They're so yeah. weak in their own zone. They're so weak, specifically Here's- in the slot in fr- in front of the net. They it, yeah. it, it doesn't matter if the score is still like six to three with the Ducks and like. The Penguins won three to one with the Sharks. They're still giving up forty shots, an opposing team. Yeah, it, it's an absolute joke. The the actual defensive production that they're actually getting in front of their goalies. Now, granted, the goalies a lot of the times can be a problem and why they lose games. But the, this past little like West Coast stand, I would say that at least in like two of the games, goaltending was pretty solid, and the the team in front of them was just giving up so many chances. Here's the thing, too. It's like watching them. Like, you hear that. You automatically think about the six defensemen. I I don't think it is even so much as them as it is the defense that you're getting from the forwards right now. Like, they are not getting to their forecheck. I think life has been way too easy for opposing teams coming down in transition into their own end. Like, the chances that they're allowing off the rush right now are ridiculous. And I can't fully blame, you know, just the defensemen for that. I think that a lot of the the defensive woes aren't on the specifically defensemen. And again, like penguin fans will understand, like obviously forwards need to play defense too. And it just hasn't happened well enough. I'm not taking blame completely away from the six defensemen, but it's like when we're talking about uh, upgrading somewhere, defense is like the last spot that I'd be looking at. Yet we keep hearing names like, you know, Jake McKay being thrown around and stuff for this team. So, or Luke Shen. And I just, I, I look at these, this defense and I think, that they even have guys that aren't playing right now that are serviceable. I don't know how you can ignore the bottom six or a backup goaltender to add in the, in the area of defense right now. Yeah, I, as, as much as like individual players on the defense will sometimes bug me, I, I think the clear and glaring problem is the bottom six of the forwards. Obviously, goaltender, but you're hoping Tristan Jari comes yeah. back and has I a mean, healthy I rest think- of the season. But- I think third line. like Specifically, I would say yeah. the third line even before the fourth. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's just it's been so bad for so long that it needs to be addressed. 
And I, I understand, like, probably a lot of Penguins fans think that nothing is going to happen because of the press conference that was held like, like a week or two ago with Ron Hextall. Didn't really say much, but listen, we're not really dealing with Jim Rutherford. We're dealing with Ron Hextall. He's not going to tell you what he's doing. Keeps it close to the vest. I'm I mean, sure last, he has something happening. came out of nowhere. Like Jeff right. Carter out of nowhere, Ricard Raquel out of nowhere. So yeah. I'm sure something is happening at, at some point, but I, I, I don't know what it's going to be. And uh, th- there's a lot of like rumors of what like trade proposals and other stuff like that. Honestly, I, I'm putting no actual stock into any of it just because I feel like that's the way Ron Hextall has operated as Penguins GM. Anything that seemed obvious that the Penguins could do, like you said, Ricard Raquel and Jeff Carter, we had no idea that that was even a possibility, and that ended up being the case. So I I, I think that's the the biggest thing that needs to change is something within that forward group, specifically in the bottom six, middle six area. It's been really tough for about a two-month span now. To watch the to watch those forwards and honestly, I, I think that you could probably get at least equal to same production from some guys that you have in Wilkesbury. I, I would rather. Oh, I want to see. I want to see Alex Nylander right now. That's I would rather be would watching be. Alex Nylander. I would rather be watching Valtteri Pustinen. There's several guys I would rather give a chance than some of the guys that we have playing on the roster right now because what what are they going to do? Be worse? How is that possible? <laughs> yeah, they stink. So that's why when, whenever Tristan Jari comes back, hopefully the team starts to play better in front of them. But, I mean, there's only a week and a half till the trade deadline. So I, yeah. I, I think we'll, we'll be talking on a show, I think, the day after the trade deadline or something like that. Cool. We, we should see if we can get somebody on to talk about it, especially like if they make a move. Um, but uh, do you have – I'm putting you on the spot. I said I wasn't going to do that before we started recording, but just thought of it now. Do you have a, like, a guy – like you're that you think is going to be traded this deadline that you would love for the penguins okay all right well that that's my uh that's my dream one actually if i'm being truthfully honest i would love to see patrick kane i mean i've always loved him as a player but uh, no um i would say um probably hold on you are putting me on the spot here and I typed in a I typed in a city name and a, or a state name and a roster and it didn't bring up hockey. Hockey. I forgot that hockey is going to be the least cared about sport when I type in things. Yeah. Um. Jacob Chikrin. Oh, so you are. I I mentioned defense. You are doing defense. Yeah. I I I understand that. Uh. Like I was just went on the spiel that I, I think that that offense should be talked about, but just for guys that I would like specifically. I would like Jacob Chickering. I mean, yeah, that's that's a type of guy that obviously it's not just like a he's under contract. Like that's a guy that I think that you do change plan for if he is available. My guy, I actually made a YouTube video talking about a couple potential targets that I felt were like realistic. Uh, the one guy in there that I would be super interested in is Adam Henrique, who has kind of had a bounce back year in Anaheim. He's going to surpass yeah. 20 goals for sure this season. And I think for me, it's because he plays center. I want a, a center capable guy for the middle six, not just like if it's a winger, so be it. But if if you can get Jeff Carter off of center and playing right wing, um, that to me is the the clear move that this team needs to make um, through the trade deadline. And Adam Henrique is also in a contract for next season, too. Uh, now, obviously, the salary is going to have to be something that is yeah. taken care of. You're going to have have Anaheim retain some and you're probably going to have to send some the other way in the deal as well. Um, 
but those things like that, Hey, I'm not the one that has to figure that part out. So. Yeah. With, and that honestly, that's with both Adam Henrique. He, he makes 5.825 million a year. And then yep. uh, Jacob Chikrin, he, he makes 4.6. So there's definitely got to be some bodies going out. That's the, he only makes 4.6. I thought it was higher than that. That's not bad. No, it's 4.6, and he would have two years after this year as well. Um, so mm-hmm. I, that, that's a so guy. So the Coyotes like. must feel like they're not close at all. I mean, if you're trading somebody making that amount of money, the caliber of player he is with control, I mean, yeah. they must feel like they're not even in the ballpark of contending. They probably aren't. Let's, let's just yeah. be honest. No, I don't. I, don't, I agree. I don't think that they are. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, it just goes to show um, where they their self awareness too. Yeah, just so to close out the show, one last question. Just because he's not traded yet, we've heard a lot of smoke. There's a lot of rumor that there's interest. Is Brock Besser going to be a Penguin? Mm. I actually included him in, in that video as well. Um, I would actually put that as one of the more realistic ones because. I think it's pretty clear that his time in Vancouver is over. Again, you're going to have to yeah. get creative with the money side of things. Um, but if you are looking at destinations for him, I think it makes as much sense as anywhere because he can play in the top six. And it, But it helps your middle six, too. Like I think people, when you say that, they're like, oh, you just, just talked about helping further down the lineup. But that's going to push somebody like a Brian Roster or Jason Zucker down the lineup to help out You know, the, the third line. So... That's the way that I would be looking at it. Uh, I also, I just feel like this is a great chance for him to revitalize his career playing alongside Sid or Gino. And obviously there's a history with GMJR. I'm sure that he's interested in somebody on the Penguins roster making some money right now. Let me ask you this question because I was just thinking about that. Now, let me, would you trade Brian Rust for Brock Besser? Oh, I know Brian How Russ much, just signed the contract, but yeah, but you got to give up some be the money way of, somehow. Well, and too, like say that that continues to not age greatly, it might be a blessing in disguise to get out of that contract. Yeah, because at worst, I mean, Besser has. Let me see. Besser has two more years on his current deal. Yeah. Brian Rust has five. Yeah, and he's obviously older. He's older. Yeah. Brock Besser is currently, holy cow, he is going to be 26 years old. He's still 25. He t- his birthday is February 25th, 1997. Also, Justin Petrosky, my friend's birthday. So um, that that makes no that means nothing. Uh, <laughs> so, but anyway, it, it means nothing to anybody, but uh, except for like one person that listens to our show, and it's not Justin. But he's only 25. I For some reason, I was expecting him to be like 27, 28, just because I've heard Brock Besser's yeah, name yeah. so long, it seems like now. I mean, I feel the but same yeah. way about Ole. Mata, shout out to new two-year contract for him too, but yeah, he's true, still like true. relatively yeah. young. I, I, I think that I would say yes. Honestly, I would do it. I love Brian Rust, friend of the show. But to get out of the current contract, to get someone – and granted, the money-wise for two years is going to be higher, but yeah. – I, I, I would get out of that to get that term off of the books. I was just thinking, like, on the off chance, say Brian, like, just regularly has this in his podcast rotation. He's just listening to the show. And he's just like, what the, what are these guys talking about? I was just on, I was on their show. Like, what are, I thought just we on? That was like two and a half years. I didn't mean ago. to, I didn't mean to say just there. I was hoping you didn't catch that. No, it would have been just if he <laughs> replied to us again. Yeah, it could have been. <laughs> That's why we trade them. Um, but, <laughs> 
No, yeah, I'm I'm with you. Um, just because I think age is probably the biggest factor there. I just I like we're in year one, and not saying that Brian won't turn it around, but this deal in its infancy is not looking great right now, and this would provide an, a way to get out of it. So, yeah, so Brian Russ currently on the season has 33 points in 53 games. Brock Besser has 35 points in 47 games. So more points, less games. He's younger. Less less term on his contract. It makes sense to me. So, yeah. And I wanted to ask that question now as opposed to next week, even though it's still before the deadline, just because he's currently still a Vancouver Canuck. He might not be by next week. Next week so. Yeah. All right. Well, um, we've been droning on for too long. It would have been a little yeah. shorter if Smitty didn't get uh, booted there, but <laughs> it would have, yeah. Um, all right. So we are going to get out of here again. Couple links for you guys to take a look at in the description of the show. The Isla Keen Fund and also, and I'm a terrible person. Uh Amy Lamasters. I knew it was Amy. I was like, what is the last name? Um, her GoFundMe as well, battling stage four breast cancer, mother of four. Um, so that is also in the description of this and then yeah, stay tuned. I'll talk about it weekly, but I want to provide updates for you guys in terms of the Dalton King golf outing as well, taking place on May 13th, 2 PM at Blackhawk golf course. So yeah, the description of this show going to be super long, couple links, a lot of information for you guys to skim through also relatively all right. long. It's all good stuff. Too. Yeah. It's all good stuff. Unlike the show itself. Um, That's true. But if you guys made it this far, can't thank you enough for watching or listening. Be sure to subscribe. Leave us a like. Hit that notification bell so you don't miss a single thing. Leave us a five-star review if you're listening on another platform besides YouTube. And leave us a comment let you know or let us know what you would like to see in the future. Until next week, for Smitty, for Tyler, this has been Around the 412.